This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, how scammers are using cognitive hacking to deceive their victims. So uh, this was reported a couple of months ago. The MCMC Chief Regulatory Officer, Dato Zulkanain Mohammad Yasin, talked about cognitive hacking and how people need to be aware um, of this modus of operation, right? Um, Modus operandi, I have mixed two things. Mode of operation. You were in English. I was cognitively hacked, <laughs> is what it was. Um, to safeguard themselves from scammers. So essentially, cognitive hacking involves um, using using sort of an, a behavioral psychology approach to scam. Um, preying on people's existing fears or their emotional reactions because people kind of get um, trapped into responding a certain way, which then allows a scammer to, um, you know, take advantage of them, get them to click on a link or uh, share their personal details and so on. And part with their money. Eventually. Eventually. But no, look, I I do think that, I mean, this is a nice way or a new way, a newfangled way of describing what is a very old... um, sort of impulse among scammers, right? Or actually a talent, let's put it this way. It's a talent that scammers have. They read people very well. They read your vulnerabilities. Um, Perhaps today with the kind of data you can crunch, you can actually read them for a huge group of of people, right? So you can have patterns, right? What is it that would make uh, a population terrified and therefore how can we manipulate them? So that might be employed by not scammers, but politicians, for instance, right? So, I mean, it, Some I think... Some might argue, not very different. Not, yes, <laughs> indeed. So the question is, um, knowing that uh, your vulnerabilities are going to be manipulated or exploited, how do you have the self-awareness to either fight back or resist or even recognize that you're being manipulated? Yeah, so Zulkanayan from the MCMC essentially um, says that these tactics involve intimidating you, forcing you to feel like you have to immediately respond or take action um, and some of the some of the ways in which to prevent this from happening includes things like just taking a moment to stop um, to verify ask someone else um, whether this makes sense right we've all gotten those calls where someone says oh there's a police report in your name or your number's been used to make illegal calls and we want you to um, you know come in or give us your details so we can investigate this so and it can be deep disconcerting. It can feel like you need to immediately do something or you're going to get into trouble. Um, But these are actually increasingly common methods that people are employing. So we are going to be um, hearing very shortly from Farlina Said, Senior Analyst in Foreign Policy and Security Studies Program at ISIS Malaysia. But we want to hear from you as well. Have you been almost taken in by a scam? What did you do to verify? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free, Malaysia. BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.12. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about cognitive hacking um, and how scammers use it to take advantage of victims. We want to hear from you. 
Have you been almost or taken in by a scam? What did you do to verify? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Farlina Said, Senior Analyst in Foreign Policy and Security Studies Program from ISIS Malaysia. Farlina, good to have you with us. So the MCMC has advised us to be more wary of cognitive hacking so that we don't pray, uh, fall prey to scammers. How would you define this concept of uh, cognitive hacking? So the term is actually quite interesting on its own, cognitive hacking. I think some places where it would be a bit more familiar is if we call it social engineering. Um, but in a way, I, I, uh, I believe the statement is anchored on how some of the criminals, when they're actually quite motivated, they can actually appeal to the emotional side of human beings. And then you realize that that's actually how some of these social engineering uh, scams or frauds actually can occur, which is uh, there are a variety of scams that can actually happen, but one of them is, say, uh, the notorious I love you scam. So when when it's actually uh, somebody who actually pretends to be somebody who's trying to get closer to you, and then that actually gives you a slight opening for you to be quite either empathetic, uh, very, very vulnerable. And also it might actually uh, encourage you to try and assist the person. So that's actually one way that a person can be cognitive hacked, uh, I suppose, if we're actually using the word in that way. But there are also other ways where um, because how of how rampant uh, social media is um, and how it is easy it is to impersonate other people, if people don't verify who they are actually talking to, and then sometimes you actually these are Facebook accounts that you've actually had for a long time, for instance. So if you've had a friend since like childhood, and the person, uh, the person um, coincidentally got in touch with you and actually asked you for assistance, you know, to actually uh, to help them uh, with a little bit of aid. Sometimes you actually don't think too much about it, or if you're actually just a very kind person, that's how. Uh, that's how. You can be cognitive hacked into uh, to give money to somebody who has actually just stolen your friend's identity. So now, uh, MCMZ has also pointed out that scammers acquire personal information about their victims from data mining. All right, so uh, can you talk to us about the availability of this kind of information and where it comes from? It's a very interesting question about data mining because you realize in an environment where everybody is actually so used to giving out information online, um, you would answer everything from a personal message to uh, to quizzes online. And then you don't realize when you're actually answering those types of quizzes, say from unknown sources, um, it can be people who are collecting data for about yourself. And some of these uh, can actually shape the type of uh, your, your digital identity. And some of this can actually be used to shape how uh, you can be you you can be profiled online to a certain extent. And uh, the availability of the information definitely comes from the person who's actually willing to share. And I think uh, the but the advantage of the internet and social media and things like that is um, we're quite used to dealing with an uh, environment of anonymity. So you actually you would actually just converse with people. And then, uh, as as mentioned before, if you actually converse with people, and then uh, it it opens uh, if it's actually somebody who doesn't have really good intentions, then it can actually open up a a, a pathway for you to actually 
uh, for you to actually be scammed to a certain extent because they might actually just utilize either your people you know or they would actually send links or it would be a dating scam. So these are ways that I think uh, some of the data mining, uh, even though it sounds very, uh, it sounds like a heavy process, it can actually just be something as simple as answering a quiz and you've actually just given them answers to certain certain issues. So how does the increasing use of social media contribute to the risks of being overexposed online? And, you know, what kind of details should people avoid sharing online, especially when it comes to online quizzes, like you mentioned earlier? You actually can take a look at this from the modus operandi of how some of the crimes actually occur. Uh, Certain ways that the quizzes are structured may actually ask you sensitive questions that actually look like the type of questions you would actually get in the security, your bank security questions, you know, for instance, what is the name of your cat? What is your mother's maiden name? Those kind of things. And that um, that is uh, a definitely a sign that you should actually be quite concerned, uh, especially when you're answering the quizzes from people that you don't really know. So these are some of the ways that uh, the social media actually contribute to to uh, being overexposed. And then also people can be very, very open with sharing just their personal life, their daily life. And uh, the purpose of most of the criminals is to actually find a way to actually get into your uh, bank account or something like that, to actually, to, or uh, to hold it depends to hold certain things ransom, for instance, uh, in other cases. Uh, so these type of things means that they actually need access. They need your uh, your password. They need your details. Certain types of information, it seems like it's very difficult for us to actually not share. Um, one way uh, that we have always been, uh, we, we have actually uh, drafted uh, digital identities from our handphone numbers, for instance. And then uh, things like our our locations is all available because of the types of platforms that we use for e-commerce and things like that. So I think the personal, highly personal information, I think identifiable information should be, uh, should be we should be a bit more wary when you actually share things like that. Now, if we look at some of the notable scams that have happened, uh, what can we learn from them and what are some of the vulnerabilities that hackers look out for in an individual? I would actually take a look at some of the incidences for uh, phishing that has actually occurred at least in the past year. So, for instance, you actually had the um, Maikase impersonation um, phishing that actually occurred on Telegram. You actually also had something from uh, PDRM where you actually had to pay. So uh, where where they actually uh, spooked, I think, the website, if I'm not mistaken. So what are they looking for? They're actually looking for an opportunity. And then what are you actually giving them? Uh, If you are uh, an applicant, for instance, uh, you're uh, you're trying to check whether you're eligible for Maikase. If you're actually trying to pay your uh, bills or something like that. So that actually provides an opening for them to actually uh, latch onto you. I think the thing is, in comparison to the types of personal information that you share online, the 
the challenges to finding, to stifling the opportunities for them to actually get those information is actually a bit more important because uh, those things actually have signposts that you can kind of verify. For instance, if it's a spoof website, it's possible for you to actually see whether it is a real website, it's not. And then when they actually ask you to sign up for Telegram, for instance, you would actually uh, end up putting in your phone number because uh, that's actually probably one of the first few steps that they would actually do when it comes to the the uh, when it comes to the phishing website. But it's a bit difficult to not give out the personal information. It's a bit harder to find than to actually uh, try and verify a lot of the sources. If I could get you to expand, how does this personalized information uh, enhance the effectiveness of a scam call uh, or add to this cognitive hacking approach? I guess it really depends on which type of scam you're actually talking about. Because for, say, things like um, the I love you scam, having being able to actually collect some of the information uh, would allow them to profile you and allow them to actually tap onto the type of vulnerabilities that you have. For instance, if uh, perhaps they would uh, approach you or you would actually have the conversation with them knowing maybe X, Y, Z about you. Maybe they would know your name. They would know where you live. They would actually know... Um, uh, maybe even, I guess, uh, from things like your name, they would actually be able to discern, oh, this is actually your ethnicity, this is actually uh, your, your, uh, your, I guess, your religion, if that actually counts. So if you're actually doing something like an I love you scam, that's actually already enough for them to actually have something to go on, for them to, uh, for them to build and understand how to actually approach you as a person. But then as you actually start speaking more, you actually become the immediate data dispenser. So you would actually tell them, okay, what did you do today? Oh, I actually went to the garden. I garden. Also, you garden. So then, you know, these are actually information. It's actually not personal. It's not actually sensitive information in any way. But with that scam specifically, it will actually allow them to be able to appeal to your empathy. And that is how you connect as human beings. And then that is actually also how you open yourself up in terms of a vulnerability uh, that's uh, because when something happens, you would actually want to help them and things like that. Yes, yeah, so just let's d uh, develop this idea of vulnerabilities. I mean, part of the way scams uh, work is they create a sense of fear or panic. What advice do you have uh, for people to avoid falling victim to such an approach? It is very hard to say uh, to stop and to think, but you are going to have to stop and think. Uh there are certain situations, it really depends on how well they've actually managed to build you or your profile to understand what, what you are like. Um, because there have there has been instances where they would actually say, for instance, your, your family member is actually uh, kidnapped or something like that. And then they would actually ask you to transfer money. Um, but then coincidentally, while your family member is uh, supposedly kidnapped, your family member just happened to be on a flight. So then that means they are actually incommunicable during that period of time. So how did they actually come across this information? How did they actually know that that's happening? Um, there can be various data points for that. Uh, I mean, it can be your family member that's actually the vulnerability and then you're the one who's actually getting scammed. So um, for those type of situation, it is very difficult for you to actually try and verify. Uh, I think, but you're going to have to stop and you're going to have to verify, even if it means that you're actually letting go of an opportunity. Other types of uh, scams may actually utilize a false sense of uh, panic. 
for instance, if you're buying concert tickets, there's a window of time because they would actually create this environment where you might actually be competing with the next person. And you yourself actually create the, the alarm and the concern about whether you're actually getting those concert tickets uh, on time. So in, in, uh, in that sense, being stuck in this environment uh, or this uh, mental uh, situation means uh, you're going to have to actually draw on rationality, logic, and then also you're going to have to, at certain times, actually let certain things go uh, so that you actually don't fall prey to the situation. We've seen the government run campaigns on how to avoid being scammed or how to recognise scam calls. How effective have these been? Um, what else could be done here? The great part is that the government has actually at least uh, really championed this for the past two to three years. So at least that's quite useful. Um, I think information at the end of the day is actually pretty hard to come by. I think, uh, for instance, you may not actually know how the MyCase impersonation really looks like unless you visited the MyCert website. And when you visited the MyCert website, then it shows you, oh, this is actually how the page looks like. This is page one, page two. They will lead you down into the, the galley and then go down to page three and page four. And, and then you'll be like, oh, okay, this is actually how it looks like. And I have to actually be aware of it. Um, I think uh, in that sense, the awareness campaign is actually something that can be better. And then I think uh, the PSAs uh, probably require greater dissemination. But I think that's also a challenge in Malaysia because our social, uh, our media sources are actually quite varied. So we don't actually have only one media source. Uh, we might, uh, a person might go on YouTube, but what are the chances that you might actually encounter a scam PSA on YouTube? It can happen. I mean, um, but it really depends. So that's uh, that's the challenge, I think. And then how, and then so to prepare people from future uh, scams, from getting future scams, you actually have to know how it works. And I think that's where some of the, some of the, challenges like if you really have not encountered the page or you answer a quiz and then you don't know how they actually use the information in the quiz to actually profile you or to to get closer to you in any way then uh it would be that would be uh uh that would be a vulnerability so another concept that's kind of in the mix is security awareness fatigue, which is the feeling of exhaustion a user's experience when there are too many security measures that need to be considered. So, I mean, how do we strike a balance between staying safe online and not becoming too paranoid about what we do on the Internet? This is a very good question, because I think when you realize that you are dispensing the data yourself uh, and then also when you realize that uh, as you share more data, people are actually able to use the information in a way that you don't want. The data that you actually put out there is actually data that is already in a in a certain place. It, it feels very, very, uh, it feels like you're out of control uh, in that sense. And I think that's where balance between actually creating awareness that is uh, palatable versus creating awareness that's actually just very, very, uh, you, mean, you need to be prepared. There's panic. There's something that you actually have to be concerned about. It's like, it is something that you have to be concerned about, but it's also uh, some things that is part and parcel of the everyday. Like you get into a car and there's a high risk that you might actually get into uh, an accident or something like that. And it's 
some things that you actually have to be aware of when you actually do use uh, your your uh, platforms or any types of um, social media networks and things like that. So I think the security fatigue probably feels strange, especially when you're just migrating online because it feels like you're learning new skills and new uh, a new you're actually gaining new lenses every single time you actually have to use the internet and things like that and that's why it might feel tiring because it, it's just not natural we weren't born with the devices ne necessarily stuck to our hands so um, I think once it actually becomes a bit more innate and I think it becomes a bit more palatable like certain things on how do you actually deliver new new modus operandi for instance for the threat actors, it, this can actually be quite useful, but it also has to be in a form that's actually understandable. Farlina, thanks for speaking with us. That was Farlina Said, Senior Analyst with the Foreign Policy and Security Studies Program at ISIS Malaysia. Let us know, have you been taken in by a scam or almost taken in by one? What did you do to verify? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. It is 5.38. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about cognitive hacking um, or essentially using people's fears and anxieties and uh, creating a sense of tension as a way to scam them. Um, something that I'm sure we'll all recognize from the scam calls or messages that we might have gotten, um, you know, telling you that uh, you've got a police report in your name or, you, you know, you, somebody's been kidnapped, you know, and stuff like that. So we've been asking you, have you been taken in by a scam or almost been taken in by a scam? What do you do to verify? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. So CK says... Even if you're not using social media, we still receive a bunch of scam calls, messages and so on. Unless you're living inside a cave, otherwise you can't avoid these at all. Yeah, I think, CK, you're absolutely right in the sense that um, the many ways that information gets out, it social media isn't just the one way. It's only that I think now scammers can work at scale in the way they didn't or couldn't in the past so without social media being a source of that information, right? So, <clears throat> sorry, speaking to the expert just now, I mean, the understanding is that, you know, uh, there is, um, it's like, you know, scams have, are on steroids today, right? Because of the kind of information that's out there. And I don't know how many of you have gotten one of those calls that begins with a kind of automated voice, you know, start, yes. that's how it begins. And then you think, well, you know, how many of those calls are they doing at, in, at any one time, right? If they can, say, for instance, um, if you decide that old people are vulnerable generally, then you just find out people's IC, you see where, you know, everybody who's over 75 and you start targeted them, targeting them, right? Well, and, and as CK says, I mean, this doesn't need to be reliant on social media. Um, we've heard of so many leaks, even in the last year. And part of the danger of these leaks is that that information is now available for people to harvest and use. Um, and yeah, you you know, something like your IC number or your phone number is usually sufficient for people to come up with a relatively 
easy way to try and scam someone. And depending on how familiar you are, how much awareness you have of these tactics, um, exactly that. Getting a call um, and saying, um, oh, you know, 10,000 ringgit has been uh, uh, has been withdrawn from your account. We need you to give us your number and your details so we can check is something that a lot of people would panic for when, when they get a call. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is a moment for reminiscing of, uh, you know, the old scams <laughs> and how, you know, um, you know, in many ways, the old scams traded on belief systems, right? Or traded on superstition or people's lack of understanding of science or, uh, or, or the way the body works, right, in order to... Um, induce that fear and say, well, I've got a cure for you, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I think the the idea of gaming other people based on how they think and feel is an old Yes, it's old just mode, the tools. Right? It's just the tools mm. that have become so much more immediate, I think. You don't even have to be in person to execute these scams now. Um, anyway, keep your thoughts coming. We've been asking you um, whether you've almost been taken in by a scam. How did you verify? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.